You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis. In the second half of our show, we will hear a parable first included in Edward Bellamy's 1897 book, Equality, called The Parable of the Water Tank. It is read by Barry Schillingford. But first, we start with the news, starting with local news. On Southside Pride is an article entitled Thank You, Cam Gordon by Ed Feline. The article is essentially a number of thank you notes to Cam Gordon for, quote, his service to our community and the city of Minneapolis as a member of the Minneapolis City Council since 2006, as Jim Wellness states in his letter. The article also has Cam's response, which essentially outlines his disappointment at losing re-election, shows gratitude to his staff and community, and in the end congratulates the Robin for Minneapolis campaign, saying, quote, I offer my congratulations to Robin Wonsley Warblaw, my successor, who I will be meeting soon. I am committed to making it as smooth and as successful a transition as I can for her and for all of you. Socialist News and Views strongly supported Robin for Minneapolis in this election, and we offer our strong congratulations to Robin and the campaign staff and citizens that elected the first black Democratic Socialist to Minneapolis City Council. Now the work starts to expand the movement for racial justice, rent control, and to tax the rich to pay for public services. An article in Sahan Journal on November 15th is by Becky Dernbach. The article is called Immigrant Students Rally to Save a Small St. Paul High School from Closing. It feels like you belong in this country, a recent graduate says of the program. The article outlines how the city of St. Paul has said because of other programs and declining immigration, the city no longer needs LEAP High School. According to the article, some students have tried other schools and found them more difficult. This, it says, was because other schools have larger class sizes full of English speakers and potentially other problems like bullying. This is what student Israel Toledo had to say about Leap High School on WCCO. Leap High School, it's a perfect place for immigrants to have a good environment while learning the culture, the language, and also the assignments. Indigenous survival, history, and culture are prominent themes for National Native American Heritage Month is the title of an article by Margaret Summers on November 16th in Ark Republic. The article says, quote, The killing of George Floyd last year by a white Minnesota policeman prompted many Americans to reassess the stories told to us as children about the nation's heroes. Part of their reevaluation included taking a fresh look at Christopher Columbus discovering what is now called America. Thousands of years before his ships docked here by mistake, indigenous people lived on the land, end quote. 
Summer says that Christopher Columbus Day is now recognized in some areas of the country as Indigenous Peoples Day, and in some areas both are recognized. The historic partition and theft of Native land is also highlighted, as well as Native Americans' participation in previous U.S. wars. The article says since 1915, Indigenous people in the U.S. have been asking for a day to recognize the achievements of the first Americans. Going on, quote, in 1990, President George H.W. Bush approved a joint resolution declaring November 1990 as National American Indian Heritage Month, end quote. The theme of this year's month is resilient and enduring. We are Native people. The article also highlights how some Indigenous folks feel that Thanksgiving is a day of mourning. The article ends with Keisha James of the Wampanoag Nation saying, quote, We're essentially extending our hand to these people and saying, here's the truth. If you want to learn the truth and accept the truth, come with us. And unfortunately, some people don't want to take our hand because they're committed to dying on the wrong side of history. End quote. It is worth mentioning at the time of this recording, no verdict has been reached in the case against the white supremacist and killer Kyle Rittenhouse. Ezra Brain has an article for Left Voice called The Fix is in the Criminal Quote Unquote Justice System Protects Kyle Rittenhouse. The article appears on November 11th on leftvoice.org. The article replays Rittenhouse's movements that day, taking his gun over state lines, killing two people, walking past police line, and returning home safe. But it says the worst assumptions of activists have been confirmed, stating, quote, from the beginning, the trial has been completely weighted in Rittenhouse's favor. The judge ruled that the people Rittenhouse shot cannot be referred to as victims, but that it was all right to call them looters or rioters, end quote. The judge also refused to let in a picture of Rittenhouse with the Proud Boys and says the article Rittenhouse, quote, is putting on a performance of being the good little white boy, end quote. The article says Rittenhouse may walk, and that would be a colossal miscarriage of justice in this case. You can read the full article at leftvoice.org. The BBC has an article entitled Deadly Storm Cuts Transport Links Around Vancouver. The article from November 17th with no author listed says, quote, A deadly storm described by officials as a once-in-a-century weather event has severed road and rail links around Vancouver, Canada, end quote. The article says something called an, quote, atmospheric river is to blame. This resulted in terrible flooding and landslides that wiped out cars and roads. The article said that the RCMP officers in Canada had not yet determined how many occupied vehicles had been swept away in flooding, but at least one person was known to be dead. Thousands of homes were evacuated, and the article says, including 7,000 in one town mentioned in the article. The BBC says, quote, at one point, the main available land route out of Vancouver was to enter the U.S. and then return to Canada. However, re-entering Canada from the U.S. requires a negative coronavirus test, and roads in the border state of Washington were also affected by the storm, end quote. This is most likely part of the ongoing pattern of more destructive intense weather that we will see more of as we see an increase in the effects of climate change, and some people are doing something about it. For example, two climate activists halt operations at world's largest coal port, which is the title of an article on common dreams by Julia Conley on November 17th. The article is about Australia, as this took place at the port of Newcastle in New South Wales. Conley says, quote, Hannah Dooley and Ziana Fodd, both members of the campaign group Blockade Australia, filmed themselves suspended on ropes attached to the port where they forced the transport of coal to stop for several hours, end quote. 
The article has a tweet from Blockade Australia in which Ziana says, quote, This is me choosing to not give away my political agency to a symbolic demonstration every four years. Just like climate and ecological collapse, political turning points are human-induced. They depend on us, end quote. The article quotes Dooley as saying that another system is possible in Australia because another system there existed for thousands of years. The article also says Blockade Australia has plans for a big demonstration in Sydney in June. You can read more on commondreams.org. Alex Lantier and Will Morrow have an article on World Socialist website on November 17th with the headline, Governments Reject Pandemic Controls Amid Record COVID-19 Surge in Europe. Two years on from the first documented case of COVID-19, it says, quote, Yesterday, over 290,000 people were diagnosed with COVID-19 and 4,141 died in Europe, end quote. The article says the World Health Organization predicts another 500,000 deaths from COVID in Europe by February 1st, 2022. And yet it says governments in Europe are rejecting social distancing and strict lockdowns, which can stop circulation of the virus. World Socialist website says the attitude is best summed up by a comment that Boris Johnson made last year in an office in Downing Street, where he said, quote, no more fucking lockdowns, let the bodies pile high in their thousands, end quote. Arguments for a politically criminal strategy like herd immunity, which means death for thousands in Europe and millions worldwide, are being made all over. Roy Landerson writes for TheMilitant.com on November 13th, the article, Sudan Protests Continue, Fight to Overturn Military Coup. The article discusses large-scale November 7th protests in response to the October 25th military coup in Sudan, led by General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, saying, quote, In several cities, protesters attempted to build street barricades in response to calls for civil disobedience by the Sudanese Professionals Association, end quote. The article quotes the Sudanese Professionals Association as saying they have adopted a policy of, quote, no negotiation, no partnership, no legitimacy, end quote, with the military coup, as they see it has been rejected by the Sudanese people. Haymarket Books also had a recent event about the ongoing movements called Sudan Revolution and Counter-Revolution on November 8th. Here is Muzan Al-Neil, an activist and writer in Sudan and co-founder and managing director of the Innovation Science and Technology Think Tank for People-Centered Development, speaking at that event. Um, now, resistance committees and um, labor unions and um, different types of labor groups as well uh, and demand-based groups started preparing for the coup. Uh, in the weeks before it. Some unions even issued um, proactive strike announcements uh, that go effective at the moment of the coup, as written the statements themselves. The resistance committees organized and called for uh, the October 21st Millions March under the slogan, Down with the Partnership of Blood. The Partnership of Blood here being the partnership between the military um, and the civilians. Uh, so at the level of the resistance committees, uh, it was very clear by then that power cannot be shared and that the partnership with uh, the military criminals or the military in general is a compromise on justice. The partnership with the military criminals or the military in general is a compromise on justice, she said at the end. There was a little hard to hear. Now go to song. This is Go Get Organized from the Redskins, a anti-racist skinhead uh, group uh, whose name traces to the same name as the subgenre, which is red for anti-capitalist or Marxist, and skins 
for skinheads. This is from their 1986 album, Neither Washington Nor Moscow. Go get organized by the British band, The Redskins.
We're back with our reading from Edward Bellamy. According to Wikipedia, Edward Bellamy lived from March 26, 1850 to May 22, 1898, and was an American author and journalist who was also a political activist. Says he was most famous for his novel Looking Backward, which was a utopian novel. Again, from Wikipedia, quote, After working as a journalist and writing several unremarkable novels, Bellamy published Looking Backward in 1888. Looking Backward was one of the most commercially successful books published in the United States in the 19th century, and it especially appealed to a generation of intellectuals alienated from the alleged dark side of the Gilded Age. In the early 1890s, Bellamy established a newspaper known as The New Nation and began to promote united actions between the various nationalist clubs and the emerging populist party. He published Equality, a sequel to Looking Backward, in 1897 and died the following year. End quote. This piece we are about to hear discusses primitive accumulation, the rise of capitalists, and the crisis of overproduction. It also touches on the kind of world we could all build instead. And now, Bellamy's The Parable of the Water Tank, read by Barry Schillingford. The Parable of the Water Tank by Edward Bellamy, originally published in the book Equality in 1897. There was once a very dry land called Root, where the lives of all the people were daily focused on their need to collect water. In Root there were no lakes or rivers, but there were widely scattered oases, where stands of palm trees grew, surrounded by grass and flowers. In some of these oases there were springs where cool fresh water would flow onto the surface and collect in shallow ponds. Each day the people of Root would walk to the nearest spring, often miles away, to collect the water that they would need for the day's drink and cooking and washing. Some days the flow of water in the springs was low, and the people who came to collect water were many, so that some who walked to the spring had to return home with only a few sips for their spouses and children and their elderly parents. Once a man of root went to an oasis to collect his daily water, but he found that day that no water poured forth from the spring. In desperate need he considered that since water usually flowed at this place, that it must come from a source under the ground. With this thought in mind, he took a shovel and began to dig. After hours passed in his labors, he eventually reached an underground river, which had been the source of the spring. He lowered his bucket into the river that he had discovered and drank deeply. Many other people had come that day to the oasis, and most had returned home empty-handed. Some were still present when the digger reached water, and they ran over in delight and attempted to fill their buckets. The man who had dug the well was angered and beat them off with his shovel. I have water because I alone dug this well, he shouted. Do you think that you can just come over and take what I have produced? One in the crowd called back, We are poor and have little, but we must have water or we will die. I have two pennies only, but I will give these to you for one bucket of water. The man who had dug the well agreed, and offered the same exchange to all others. Those who had two pennies paid and filled their buckets, those who had no pennies returned home with their buckets empty. The man who had dug the well realized that owning it set him apart from all the other people of Root. To maintain his distinction, he built walls around the well to keep all others out so that they could get water from it only if they paid him the two pennies and this man became rich from the pennies he collected, and he became known as the capitalist.
Other men of Root soon heard what had happened at this oasis and were inspired by the good fortune of the capitalist. They set out to each of the other oases, where the people of Root who had no pennies went for water. They each dug wells and diverted the underground rivers so that water no longer flowed into the public springs. They built fences around their wells so that none could take water without their permission. And they gave water only to those who would pay them. And they all became known as capitalists. But the people of Root were thirsty and poor, and soon few had pennies, and they begged the capitalists to give them water. But the capitalists said, We cannot do that, because then we would become as poor as you are, and we would perish with you. But if you will be our servants, we will provide you with water. And so it happened that the people of Root became the servants of the capitalists. The capitalists ordered their servants into teams with supervisors and managers. Some they put at the wells to dip, and others they made to build water wheels, and some to search for new springs. Some of the people were hired to build a tank in the center of town to hold the water, and this tank was called the market. And the capitalists said to the people, For every bucket of water that you take from our wells and bring to us and pour into the market, we will pay you a penny. You may then buy water from the tank for you and your families to drink and cook and wash for two pennies a bucket. The difference shall be our profit. If it were not for this profit, we would not do this for you, and you would all perish. The people of Root were happy that the capitalists had solved the perennial shortage of water, and glad for the work by which they earned the money to buy it. They diligently brought water to the tank every day, and for every bucket they brought, the capitalists paid them a penny. But for every bucket of water that the capitalists drew from the market to give to the people, the people gave the capitalists two pennies. After many days the market overflowed, as for every bucket they poured in they received only enough to buy half a bucket. Because of the excess that was left to every bucket, the market overflowed. The people were many and the capitalists were few and could drink no more than the others. And when the capitalists saw the market overflow, they told the people to bring no more water until the market was empty. But when the people could no longer earn pennies from the capitalists for the buckets of water they brought, they could not buy water from the market. And when the capitalists saw that they had no more profit, because no man brought water for them, they were troubled. They decided they had to advertise, and send forth men to cry, If any thirst, let him come to the market and buy water from us. But the people answered, How can we buy unless you hire us so that we may earn money? Hire us as before, and we will buy water, because we are thirsty, and you will have no need to advertise. The capitalists replied, Shall we hire you to bring water when the market is already overflowing? First you have to buy the water, and then, when the tank is empty, we will hire you again. And so the people did not work, and because they did not work, they could not buy. And minstrels reported abroad that Root was in crisis. The people thirsted as never before, because they could not collect water at the oases, as their fathers had done. The capitalists had taken all the springs and the wells and the water wheels and the buckets so that no man could get any water except from the market. The people begged the capitalists, The tank is overflowing, please give us water so we don't die. But the capitalists answered, The water is ours, if you want it you have to buy it. And they confirmed this with an oath to each other, saying, Business is business. But the capitalists were worried because they sold so little water. They said, Our profits have stopped our profits. Because of the profits we've made, we can't make any more profits. How is it that our profits have become unprofitable, and our gains now make us poor? We must send for the soothsayers to interpret this to us. 
and the soothsayers had several explanations. One blamed it on overproduction, another on the failure of the people of Root to save their pay, and yet another on lack of confidence. When the capitalists sent the soothsayers to the people, the soothsayers told them that now they must thirst because there was too much water. But the people became angry and chased the soothsayers away with stones and cried out, Do you mock us? Does plenty bring famine? Does nothing come of much? When the capitalists saw this anger, they were afraid that the people might storm the water tank. So they sent their holy men, who were false priests, to calm the crowd. The false priests told the people that their thirst was an affliction from God to test their souls, that they should bear it in patience and not trouble the capitalists. Then they proved the capitalist generosity by going to the market and wetting their fingertips in the overflow and scattering the drops upon the people who thronged the tank. The drops of water were called charity, and they were bitter, but the crowd raged even more than before. Since both the soothsayers and the false priests had failed to calm the people of Root, the capitalists next called upon all who had skill in war. If you will guard our tanks, then we will pay you money, so that you may buy water for yourselves and your families, the capitalists told them. And the men of war were persuaded by their thirst, and took their swords into their hands, and struck down the people who thronged to the tank. In the following days, the capitalists made fountains and fish ponds and flower gardens, and they bathed in the water with their wives and children, and wasted the water for their pleasure. When the market was empty, they proclaimed, The crisis is ended. They hired the people again to bring water from the wells to the market, and paid them as before, a penny for every bucket. But for every bucket that was taken from the tank, the capitalists received two pennies. And so after a time, the market once again overflowed. Once again, the word was spread that there was a crisis. Time and again the tank overflowed, and the people of Root thirsted. And when after suffering their agony the market was empty, the people of Root could once again buy the water they needed. And the recurrent overflowing and emptying of the water tank was called the cycles of the market. After many cycles of the market there arose in the land certain men who were called agitators, because they stirred up the people. And the agitators told the people they should associate, and then they would have no need to be servants of the capitalists, and would no longer thirst. The agitators asked the people, Why can you not buy water from the market? Because you have no money. Why do you have no money? Because for every bucket you put into the market you receive one penny, but for every bucket you take from the market you must pay two pennies, so that the capitalist must have his profit. So the tank must overflow, being filled by your lack, and made to abound out of your emptiness. Do you not see that the harder you work and the more diligently you bring the water, the worse off you will be, and not the better? And that this is so because of the system of profit, which will keep the people of Root poor forever. The agitators told this story at every opportunity, wherever they could, to whomever would listen. At last there were people who responded to them. You are right, it's because of capitalists and their profits that we cannot receive the fruit of our labor. The more we toil to fill the market, the sooner it overflows, and we receive nothing because there is too much. And what can we do to end the cycles of the market? And the agitators replied, What do the capitalists do for you, that you should give them profits from your labor? You collect the water and transport it, but from the capitalists you receive only a little of the water you have brought. Here is how to free yourselves from bondage. Do for yourselves what is done by the capitalists namely the ordering of your labor and the marshalling of your bands and the dividing of your tasks, 
Organize yourselves. Set your production goals to meet the needs of all the people of Root, but not with an eye to profit. Assign to every worker a job to which he is suited and that pleases him. When he tires of that job, let him find another way to help the production. And as each person produces more than he can use, and the products of each worker's labors are multiplied by the cooperation of others, let each man take from the market all that he needs. Then you will have no need at all for the capitalists, and will not yield them profits. Then you shall share as brothers all the fruit of your labor, so the tank shall never overflow until each man is full. And afterward, with the overflow, you should make pleasant fish ponds and fountains to delight yourselves, just as the capitalists did, but these shall be for the pleasure of all. And the people of Root cried with one voice, Equality, brotherhood, and freedom forever. The capitalists heard the shouting and what the people said, and the soothsayers heard it too, as did the false priests and the men of war. And they trembled and said to one another, It is the end of us. And the people did the things the agitators had told them to do. Soon there was no longer any thirst in the land, and no one hungered, or was naked or cold, or suffered any manner of want. And every man called his fellow my brother, and every woman called her companion my sister. For they were all to each other as brothers and sisters who lived together in unity. And Root enjoyed the blessings of prosperity and peace forever after. The music in that piece was played by Ilya Kyler of the Polish National Radio Symphony Orchestra. The music is by Niccolo Paganini. And that is our show. Thanks for listening. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.